Welcome to Get This Shit, the bi-monthly podcast that answers the questions you've always had, but forgot to ask. Prepare your earballs. wonderful co-host Cassie and a bunch of other people uh we have Sam and Malcolm with us today hey guys hello fellas how are you uh doing good 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 good. so the reason we have them here is we decided to be lazy and take a week off yeah man you do it yeah we don't want to do homework anymore (laughs) Yeah, so uh, Sam and Malcolm have uh, tag-teamed some research on a couple of different connected subjects. So uh, we're just going to sit back and make let them comment, make smart-ass comments. Yeah. We do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sure. All right. Learned history episode. Yay! Ooh. Take it away. All right. So uh, with, you know, us boys being boys, uh, we decided that we wanted to talk about samurais. I love this. Of course. (laughs) We each picked a different samurai to talk about, and they are very special for their own reasons. But uh, we'll get to that. But first off, we need to understand a little bit more about Japan itself. Uh, So I'm going to commit a crime against history and blow past (laughs) a shitload of Japanese history. That's what we do. Yeah. uh, Yes, there is. Context is coming quick, fast, and in a hurry. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're getting a crash course. I love it. Japan, like the first inhabitants of Japan date are traced back to about 30,000 B.C. 30 thousand oh okay <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, i had to write it in my hand that's, that's a, a lot, lot of zeros uh, <laughs> yeah so it was inhabited by the yamon people which were like hunter gatherer type uh civilization and in the fourth century bc a group of people named the yayoi people from mainland asian continent immigrated to japan and introduced like iron age technology and agriculture to the yamon people yeah and this led to like the yayoi having more success in the area outbreeding the yamon people and kind of like taking over and assimilating like japan as more of their stuff sure the earliest As one does right As yeah. <laughs> um Story the we've heard a thousand times earliest written history talking about japan is a chinese writing called the book of han that was written about 82 ad 82 ad just two numbers <laughs> yeah two numbers <laughs> yep you know an empire still no going more. on right now yep. the roman empire yes yeah. Okay. All right. Where's Jesus in all this? Uh, Jesus That's been has my... been dead for about 50 years. Probably. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember how time works now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in the book of Han, it said that the Wa, which is what they referred to the Japanese as, uh, were divided into about 100 kingdoms. Uh, all right. That's significant yes. amount. Kingdoms and then another Chinese historical text. They were better about uh, writing down their history at this point in time. Uh, <laughs> you mean they were like I guess we can talk about this part I mean I guess somebody may want to know <laughs> uh, 
So, I mean, well, because, I mean, the J- Japanese at this point in time were still, like, coming out of, like, the Iron Age and, and whatnot. Chinese historical text that was written about the three main Chinese kingdoms. This text was called the Weiji. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce a lot of shit oh, today, so... You're, you're trying. Apologies you all are, around. Yep. Sound um, wonderful. Uh, the Wei Ji says that if you about listen to uh, any podcast and you expect them to say every sing- every single thing correctly, you are just in for a world of hurt. Oh, yeah, so much hurt. I mean, you know, we try. It's like you yes. know, I I don't say you know Aro's cone polo at the Mexican oh, restaurant. My, so. Yeah, <laughs> I love this. What an ally! Right. <laughs> and he picks yeah, that, that's the Mexican goal I was going for. Restaurant. Okay, go ahead. Um. So, yeah, about 150 years later, the Weiji says that uh, the Japanese people or the Wa had one kingdom rise to power over the others, and that kingdom was known as the Yamatai, and it was ruled by a queen named Himiko. Get a bitch. Yeah, so Himiko was like more of a shamanistic type of queen. That's fucking we, sweet. Yeah, we mm. know a little bit about her, but what we do know about her is extremely widely debated. Like, mm. what her actual name was, uh, where she <laughs> was from, how large her domain was, and, like, it is h- hugely and widely <laughs> contested. It's like men got a hold of it. Oh, uh, yeah, and distorted it or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, That's yeah. Now, was that due to uh, uh, not enough sources for the... Uh, to understand, or was there just conflicting sources? Uh, pro- uh, I think it's more yes. of conflicting sources. What I found in the brief amount of research that I've been able to do, and it's been fascinating, but the brief amount of research I've been able to do in Japanese history is there's a lot of discussion and debate and conflicting sources and records, you know. I bet it's depending on where you were. Like, it, it's just different. And, like, there can be conflicting stories because of word of mouth and travel and yes. bringing of news from one place of another. Yeah, and they're, the way their history it's has been structured is kind of lends itself to that, which we'll get into. So that was around, like, 240, 80, roughly. Oh, okay. <laughs> So, uh, the next period of ancient Japan uh, is called the Kofun period. It was about 300 years from about 250 to about 538. Um, there's a lot of things that could happen that I could talk about, but um, we're kind of, like I said, criminally blow past okay. that. Okay, sure. So sorry, listen to a different podcast. Yeah. Um, so that moves on. finally starts his own podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, and it's just about Getting a Japanese country. With Sam. Yeah, I was gonna say no. a country's history that's not my own. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Cool. I mean, it'd be what fun I, and interesting. But yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. No, I get you. But you're like, oh, no, 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 they're fucking people that. Yeah, no, it's way more qualified. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so someone many. else has dibs. Yeah. All right, so that moves us to classical era of Japan which starts off with the Asuka period, uh, which began with the introduction of Buddhism, uh, which was brought from Korea. I was going to ask where it was from. Mm -hmm. Sweet, sweet. So classic, uh, are you going to define what that means? Uh, Not not really, no. Okay, so (laughs) it is just a period of time that is considered like... When it arrived. Yes. Yes. Okay. It, yes, Buddhism arrived in Japan in the classical. I would be very era. curious to know, like, how it was back then compared to how it is now. The religion. Yes. Mm. 
Sure. Yeah, yeah, that would be an interesting. Just and in that Again, area, another podcast. Another podcast. <laughs> yeah. And also, how it was received, I think, too, yeah. would be very interesting. So the indigenous peoples or the Yayoi, whatever, like before it's brought over, the main religion was Shintoism, mm. uh, which is kind of like Taoism or kind of similar, uh, which is like the Chinese version. There's a lot of ancestor worship and a lot of yes. other stuff that goes on. Yes. The two kind of melded together in Japanese culture into like kind of a combined religion called uh, Shinbutsu Shugo. Ooh. Hybrid. Yeah, so Buddhism takes off, and then there was a Buddhist clan called the Soga clan that uh, ruled behind the scenes for about 60 years, Mm. um, during which a prince named Shotoku wrote a 17-article constitution that was like a code of conduct for citizens and officials, uh, and it also coined the phrase Land of the Rising Sun for the Japanese. That's... uh that's an old motto. Yeah. And then in 645 AD, the Soga clan was over overthrown and the subsequent government nationalized all land in Japan to oh. be, quote unquote, divided equally. Oh, sounds like a plan. <laughs> I mean, uh, it was like a good idea. Right. <laughs> Uh, it was really to bolster a more stable, like, government control and bring more centralization uh-huh. uh, and, like, one, a more organized form of government. And during this period, they also sent ambassadors and students over to China to learn about, like, Chinese culture and their writing, poetry, politics, art, all this stuff to, like... Hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, China has had, like, a longer, more structured government than uh, Japan has. Gee, I, so they're going to go get ideas. Even longer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, even longer. You ever seen well, Bring I mean, It On? Basically <laughs> that. Well, I mean, you got to think about it. Like, multiple empires have come and gone in China. You've had the Roman Empire mm-hmm. that has been yeah, man, centuries old at this point in time, no. where it's like... Japan's still trying to get structured together they're like as babies. a country. Yes, they're definitely, even though the first inhabitants settled there like 30,000 years yeah, ago, yeah, yeah. like this is yeah, when the societies remained pretty agrarian and undeveloped. Yeah, right, yes. Very right. sedentary like type of culture. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, it's just hard to, um, you just kind of wonder well, if, too, like, I mean, but if you think about it, you know, if you, do, if you aren't kind of challenged to change, then. You know, yeah, the status yeah. quo is what you what you go. Yeah, with. because they probably weren't really paid that much attention to. Whereas yeah. China, yeah. like everyone was paying attention to the resources and like, I want that. So they're going to try to conquer and they're going to try to force them to like yeah. adju- adapt. Whereas, right, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you you're, look at, they're just off in the ocean, like, hey, yeah. what up? Yeah. hanging out, yeah, man. And they, they are off on the ocean and that's. You know, that's going to influence geographically, you know, the, the amount of effort that's going to be required by others. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. For by, sure. You know, the, right. the ancient Chinese to, you know, make contact or, uh, you know, seek out, you know, what's yeah. going on over there when it's just easier just to Leave go to Malone. Korea, go to the Korean Peninsula. Or yeah. Or, you know, one of the other Just countries. a hop, skip, and a jump. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> right down the road. Right. So they sent these ambassadors and students to learn more, which brought some more reforms to the country. And then there was a war called the Jinshin War. And there was also a code called the Taiho Code, 
All these led to the creation of what is known as the Ritsuryo state or something like that. Sorry, everybody. I gotcha. Um, I gotcha. It was also when a clan known as the Fujiwara clan started getting its foothold on everything. They'll come up a lot bigger in the next era. I was going to say, I feel like I've heard that name. Yeah. Well, you know it from initial D. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I, then I have heard that name. So you have heard that name before. Not in this context, though. <laughs> I gotcha. More of an animated context. Oh, yes. <laughs> I have the same you don't first know. <laughs> Yeah, we're huge anime nerds. Yeah, we enjoy good anime from time to time. Or a bad one. Right. Or, or a bad one. As long as it's fun and cheesy, like Kill a Kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so this Ryuzo state was like a Chinese-esque or Chinese-like central government. Okay, uh, modeled off of it. Yes, exactly. Very heavily. It was I gotcha. like based off of it. And that lasted for about 500 years. Oh, all right. Successful. Okay. Yeah, oh, a little bit more bad. stable. Good little, yeah. good little run. <laughs> so that brings us to the Heian period, uh, which was from about 794 to 1185. All right, we're moving up in the yeah. world. Get the timeline. In 794, a new capital was established. Uh, the capital bounced around a little bit before this happened. Like, sure, as on capitals who was do. In charge, like quite a few times. Fair. Uh, so in 794, new capital was established called Hienkyo, uh, which is now called Kyoto, which oh, you may have okay. heard of Kyoto mm-hmm. before. So this is when the. That fu- is a place. It is. A place. It is. So that's when the Fujiwara clan really rises to power. Uh, They were like a family of nobles that were part of like the imperial court. They intermarried with like the imperial family. And during the Heian period, there was a lot of power struggles and infighting. As there is. Right. Because like the it became more of um, like the emperor was more of like a figurehead and the imperial court ran more of the day to day with all this power struggle and infighting and mm. backbiting kind of like game of thrones esque where everyone's yeah. trying to get over on the other ones it was more important for them to expand their rule than it was to actually rule the people they were in charge of yeah i was just going to say yes yes yeah. it's like they don't uh, even care about the people that okay. they're supposed to be yeah. Ruling. Don't care about what's actually going on. Just looking towards more and more. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And well, and one of the things kind that they were doing is they were trying to uh, political leaders and religious leaders were trying to get tax exempt status for like their manners. Fucking rich people. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> so, yeah, because all of J- like the land in Japan was nationalized, and so the government okay. owned it yeah, and yeah, doled yeah. it out to the people, and you had to pay taxes on it. And these people were trying to increase like their wealth and and status by getting tax exempt. So, around the 11th century, it ended up that there was more private tax exempt land uh, than there was nationalized oh, land. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, which this caused the imperial court to be deprived of sufficient tax money. Yeah. yeah. So these religious leaders and political leaders were in their manners or like their families and entourage and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. their estates and everything. They were called the Shoin. And so 
since there was not enough tax money coming into like the centralized imperial court for them to like have stable control and funding for everything living above their means uh the showen started their own like private armies and militia oh strange response <laughs> yeah well because i mean the, there wasn't like enough of funding for like a nationalized army to actually have the people and equipment guard. and all you know everything that they needed so they hired their own sure i got you more for protection yes okay i was like oh, i you're thought thinking it was like full-blown yes to uh use defensively gotcha. and i was like so well that, that seems that kind of did happen weird so. okay so i was <laughs> took some time i was sniffing down it yeah. yeah so these <laughs> like i mean uh this is where like the term samurai as warriors uh, starts to get take off um, before it was kind of a ranking of civil servants. Like if you were, it was like a 12 rank system. If you were like six through 12, um, you were dubbed as samurai. Samurai actually means servant, which you'll hear in a lot of samurai lore. They're there to like serve the emperor mm-hmm, and stuff. Mm-hmm, anyway. mm-hmm. So there were two major families, the Taira and the Minamoto clans. And they got so large and had so many samurais that the government would sometimes use them to uh, suppress rebellions and keep bandits in check. I'm just going to borrow these. Yeah. You got any guys on? You got any extras? Can I borrow a couple guys? Send a couple my way. Right. And well, and see, and those families actually got big enough and had enough influence and like no one wanted to get on their bad side mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. so it actually ended up helping stabilize japan for a while oh well all yeah. right get a game gotta do what so, you gotta do you know over the years these two clans went back and forth you know with different wars and conflicts and like i said i'm criminally blowing past so oh much japanese <laughs> history <laughs> it's hurting the cockles of my heart a i'm little sorry bit. we're just getting a taste yeah So over the years, these two clans went back and forth, and finally in 1185, the Minamoto clan emerged victorious after the famous naval battle of Danonura. Damn, Gina. Good job. Yeah. This brings us into the feudal age, which is where we're going to stay for the rest of this podcast. So the uh, Minamoto clan was led by Yoritomo and... About seven years later, after this battle, when the Minamoto clan took over, in 1192, Yoritomo was named by the emperor Seitai Shogun, or Shogun for short. Mm, I've heard this before. Yeah, yeah. The title of Shogun was like military leader that worked in conjunction with the emperor so the shogun and his subordinates became known as the shogunate. Yeah, and they acted as like the military rulers of Japan. Shogunites. Oh, that's a good one. Next time. <laughs> right, yeah, we'll get them on the next round. Next universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the emperor acted more as like a figure, uh, figurehead. Okay. So a lot of shit happens. Uh <laughs> Mongols, led by Kublai Khan, invaded twice God in, like, what was it, 1224 and 12, 
something. Uh, I think it was like 1273. Yeah, that sounds probably right. And then I think he he invades then, and I think he invades, like I want to say like five to eight years later. Yeah. There's a significant gap between them, but both times the Japanese are ready for him, beat him back in combination with weather. Yeah, so Damn. yeah, so the Japanese were actually outmanned and outgunned, but I mean, if you know anything about samurai legend and mm-hmm. culture, mm-hmm. Uh, they are extremely proficient in combat. They understood their terrain and tactics well enough to where they pretty much held off the Mongol invasion until both times a typhoon or tsunami or big storm what? ended up like crippling Mongol uh, navy. Wow. Yeah. So and they had to retreat. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. And I remember reading, you know, back in college about the crisis of generalship that they had at that time because they were trying, when they first found out that the Mongols were going to invade, they started mustering all these troops. One of the problems they had was that the lords at the time had never commanded, you know, 50,000 oh, troops. Shit. Yeah. And, and once you get up there, you know, it, it goes from being, you know, this kind of individual affair to you know like a battle of logistics and then you think of like the mongols having so you know conquered china you know parts of europe and around the middle east yeah they already had they already had the you know the the plan down street cred yeah but (laughs) you know the japanese you know they they managed to look out yeah they held on long enough to where it was called uh referred to as like the divine wind Ended up taking oh my out. God. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if I was <coughs> absolutely off, and then a typhoon came out. Like, <laughs> right. <"Yeah." laughs> Thank you. Right. All praises be whoever. Yeah. So there was still like a lot of infighting and. Uh, oh no, they weren't fucking unified under this great event. Yeah. Weird. Mm. So at this time, you had regional aristocracy type leaders who were leaders over small provinces and they were called daimyos and the shogun started having less and less power over the daimyos Mm. and in 1477 the shogun lost control and fell to daimyos this is the period in japan where actually ninjas come into their own the shogunites fell to the dominoes (laughs) yep kaylee's got it nailed it it. nailed it i can't wait for that book (laughs) (laughs) kaylee has to now write a report of what sam's talking about shug knight and domino this is gonna be an interesting (laughs) historical fiction piece i can feel it it should be a play. Suge Knight, <laughs> yeah, right? Suge Knight played play. dominoes. Got it. Oh my god! Perfect. Ordered dominoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably dominoes. more likely. Yes. That's probably more likely. So in this period, you had a bunch of daimyos that controlled different regions and just vied for more power and kind of like what As the showin. Yeah, kind of what the showin did with the imperial court, just without the imperial court. So. That brings us to 1543, where a trade okay. ship was blown off course and brought the first Europeans to set foot oh, in Japan. Oh, fucking so sorry. Yeah. Apologies. Uh, yes, they were three Portuguese traders, which then... Wait, did you say they just kind of accidentally... Yeah, they were blown off course, got <gasps> lost, and yeah, <laughs> Christopher Columbus did. Yeah, isn't that how it Great. always happens with the white people? They're they like, we lost. found India, they I think. No, 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 not no. where they're supposed Upside to. Upside down India? All right. 
Without a weatherman, you can really just fall into some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chuck Lofton. <laughs> Uh, so, yes, this led to more European traders, mostly Portuguese, uh, okay. more okay. Portuguese traders bringing things like Christianity and Great. muskets, Perfect. you know. Perf- they go hand yep. in hand. Still do. Right. So uh, Christianity actually started to take off in Japan. It actually had a decent following. In a few years, they had about like 350,000 people who practiced Christianity at the time. Wow. I wonder if it was white Jesus (laughs) that they introduced him to. I wonder what that version of Jesus looked like. You know what I mean? In that area of the world. Yeah, I'm not sure how white Renaissance white. Whitewashed it was yet. Yeah. Portugal at the They probably time. would have been much more scripture-based. Tenual. Time. Yeah, Portuguese had a free trading relationship, and they benefited greatly off of the Civil War struggles between the different daimyos. They were essentially uh. like war profiteers. They sold a lot of muskets Weird. to a lot of different they sides. They were on everyone's <laughs> team. On everybody's team. What good are. Christians. But everybody's yeah. trying to find an advantage. Yeah. You know, that's yeah, ultimately yeah. it. Yeah, they... They want, They'll never you know, the suspect these. Oh no, they have these. Yeah, yeah. No. Well, if you think about it, you know, using a bow is going to take so much more time, oh, and for effort, sure. and training as opposed to you know a musket where you can just ready tooty rooty shooting. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god! Yes, <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly how they taught it too. Yes. I mean, yeah, you can fire a bow more rapidly, but a musket's going to have, I mean, well, if you trade power. with a musket, it's going to have more stopping power, more range, oh, no. you know. Um, so that brings us to a man named Oda Nobunaga. Uh, he's from the Oda clan, and uh, he was born in 1534. He started warring against the other daimyos around the 1560s, and what oh, he did right. is he added a lot of tactics to the new weaponry. Oh. So, yes, so, like, essentially... He did things like put covered boxes over the rifle people because, I mean, Mm -hmm. these are flintlock or, I mean, sorry, powder like muskets. And sure, um, I'm not sure exactly where the gun technology was at this time. So don't quote me. But I mean, if it's raining, it makes it difficult to fire muskets because it can get in there. So he essentially made him a shelter to be able to. What are those called? Deer blinds? Deer stands? Yeah. Deer stands, I think. Kind of like that, but I mean, it was like quick, portable, you know, and just like made a bunch of them so they were ready. It was like a little pop-up tent. Yeah. Like he was able to throw in a lot of new innovation into the new technology to where he could learn how to use it better than others. So he ended up conquering a lot of daimyos. (laughs) Just owning daimyos left and right. Yes. So he ended up overthrowing the shogun in 1573 and uh, became the new shogun and had conquered and unified most of the main island by around 1580-ish. Damn. Mm -hmm. Busy boy. Yes. Yeah, he's very ambitious. Yes. Yes. Yeah, to say the least. She works hard for the money, hard for that (laughs) land, working hard for that land. So that brings us to <laughs> my main man, Yasuke. 
Yasuke arrives in Japan in 1579. A lot of people believe he arrived as a slave, but that is definitely up for debate. He accompanied a Jesuit Italian missionary named Alessandre Vivalignaro. Alessandre was essentially like the Jesuit missionary in charge of all like the Jesuit missionary efforts in the West Indies, essentially. So like India, Southeast Asia, Japan, all these things. And he was on a trip to like make sure everyone was doing their stuff correctly, essentially. Just, uh, you know, going out, touching tables. Yeah, what exactly. Have you. Touching tables, you know. Mini audits, what have you. Mini audits. So, or checking your side work. So since he was a very important missionary, he ended up visiting Nobunaga, who was essentially like the shogun at the time. Anyway, so Yasuke is not a lot known about him, anything about him before he comes to Japan. Most people think that he is from Mozambique. Some people think that he's from South Sudan. Some people think he's from Ethiopia. Some people think he may be from Nigeria. There's one written source. So he is a black man. Yes, yes, he is. In Japan. In Japan, yeah. In the late 1500s. Yes, kind of stood out. Right on. Yeah, I'm sure he did. (laughs) I'm I'm sure sure he he did. Like a long grain of rice. (laughs) Burnt rice. But. Jesus. Since Alessandre, who he was accompanying, um, was such an important missionary, he went to go visit Nobunaga. And Nobunaga definitely took notice of Yasuke. Like, Yasuke also was uh, about 6'2". Oh. And at that time, the average height of a Japanese man was about 5'2". So he stood about a really full head taller. Yeah. yeah, a full foot taller than most people in the country. Yeah, I bet that got him some funny looks. Right. But he um, also got laid. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> God. Who doesn't love a tall person? Who I love you. Guy? Come on, right. man. So Nobunaga thought Yasuke's skin was actually colored black. Um, oh. So every morning he wakes up with Sharpie and just yeah, like, like painted black. Yeah, he yeah. thought it may have been Goes painted black <laughs> until they were like, nah, man, this is him. And then somebody licked their thumb and then rubbed it <laughs> yes. on his cheek. Yeah. Yes. And so Nobunaga kind of believed at that point that he was, uh, that I'm not pronouncing that word, but like a guardian demon, essentially. Like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. Like a good, like a good, a benevolent. Yes. Yeah. That's how I live my life. I yeah. Kaylee's my I am. Ben- benevolent. benevolent guardian demon. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. So it is uh, likely that Yasuke either already knew Japanese before he came over because he was serving with Alessandre. And okay. they and he was such a high profile missionary, and they knew that they were going to be traveling to India and uh, yeah, these other let me just places. Learn these languages, real quick. Yeah, either he already knew it or I was, was taught very shortly after arriving in Japan uh, and picked up on it really quick. Wow! So by the time he met Nobunaga, he already knew Japanese. And Good no- luck talking shit about him. By his back. <laughs> oh my God! Can you imagine? 
the things he heard. And then he just turns around and he's like, what's up, fam? Yeah, right. Right. So in like the next year or so, Yasuke joins Nobunaga's service instead of like he left Alessandre and joins Nobunaga's service. All right. Nobunaga really enjoyed talking with Yasuke and made him a weapons bearer, uh, gave him a katana and his own residence. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah. Here's a house. I'll take that. Uh, One of the reasons that uh, Nobunaga really enjoyed talking to Yasuke is because Yasuke would tell him stories from Africa and India and un- yeah. and apparently he was a very colorful and good storyteller. And unlike most of the other Europeans that Nobunaga dealt with were either traitors who were mm. trying to haggle for, you know, they would either kowtow yeah. so they could become vendors and merchants to Nobunaga. Or they were missionaries who were trying to save more people over. Actively convert. convert. convert yeah. The population, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, like, this is a dude who has colorful stories. And no agenda. And just telling stories to Nobunaga. Dude. Nobunaga. Yeah. Fucking I bet. It. Yeah. He was just an interesting dude. Plus, they had kind of similar cultural styles. Yasuke loved to dance and perform Utenzi, which is a historical form of Swahili narrative poetry celebrating heroic deeds. So, I mean, you have. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's very common in, like, warrior cultures, like the Vikings and, you know, like, samurai also. Mm. Like, you have odes and you have songs of great heroes and great heroic deeds, so they definitely bonded over that. Uh, Nobunaga loved listening to Japanese theater and things like that, celebrating, like, glory of old and battles and what have you. That's amazing. Yeah, so over just a couple years, Yasuke became like family to Nobunaga, and he was one of the few people in a select group that was allowed to dine with him. Mm. Um, yeah, that that's fine with me. I don't share my table, my dinner table, with just anyone. Yeah, no, that that that's that's a precious fair. time. They need to be good, like entertainment. Yeah, yeah, you'll make my food taste bad. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, and he traveled around with Nobunaga, met a lot of other people who will become huge figures later in history, mm. uh, like a man named Leisu Tokugawa, who's just pretty much referred to as Tokugawa. Okay. But, Rubbing elbows. Right. He fought in a lot of battles with Nobunaga, even though he was on the tail end. Nobunaga had pretty much conquered most everything by 1780 but he was still doing his thing checking in and yeah. making sure crossing t's dotting i's yeah now taking it's care of outliers and all the paperwork right he was even there in a very fateful night in june 21st of 1582 nobunaga had a general named akechi mitsuhide who turned against him. Oh, dun-dun-dun. Yeah. Set Nobunaga's palace on fire. Oh, what a bitch! Yep. Uh, essentially... Arson, a bitch's weapon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure he had people outside surrounding... as he like... had oddly shaped feet. <laughs> <laughs> like a smoke em out tactic, you know. Ah, yeah, man. Get him while he's trying to fucking get out of his burning house. Right. Bitch. 
So Nobunaga was actually trapped in one of the rooms, and Nobunaga, instead of surrendering, decided to commit a ritual suicide known Eh. as seppuku. Yeah. Before he killed himself, his last request was for Yasuke to decapitate him after seppuku and take his head and his sword to his brother, to Nobunaga's brother. Uh, okay. Which was a huge sign was of okay? trust. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sure that just smelled delicious. Just <laughs> oh my God, Kaylee. <laughs> She's practical in the moment. She's like, God, all right, fuck. Give me errands after you fucking die, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, my hands are going to get doing this. So. My nails. My nails. <laughs> so, after Nobunaga was killed. Um, <laughs> That like kind of marks the end of what we know about Yasuke. Um, he was pretty much exiled after that, and once he was exiled, he pretty much fell off the map. Sure. Um, Out of recorded history. Yeah, because I mean, you got to think that Nobunaga's rivals took over. This is Nobunaga's one of, if not his right hand man. He's also a six foot two black man in Japan, <laughs> so he's gonna stand out. So you kind of yeah. have to get away. Yeah, you gotta and, go. Gotta Because there's out. gonna be a lot of people who would want to kill him, even just so they could go to Mitsuhide and say, "Hey, I killed this dude Guess what? for you. Yeah. Guess what? I fucking took this guy out. You want to give me some? Yeah, hey, yeah, hey. yeah, for real. So like, there's a lot of danger around. So he pretty much went to a life of seclusion after that. There are a lot of myths and legends, sure. you know, that follow, but nothing really documented. It's all just like folklore, you mm-hmm. know. But yeah, so that is Yasuke, nice. and there have been a couple movies that have been made about him. I was going to ask. Yes, and allegedly there was one in the works to be made recently Ooh. where Chadwick Boseman was God. scheduled to Aww. play him. Yeah. God, that would have been yeah, fucking been awesome. So cool. Phenomenal. Michael right? Jai White is probably just a teensy bit too he's a, he's a, well and a teensy little bit too big you know what i mean i i oh shit like, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I didn't picture even him as like stacked i picture him yeah as no like, you're you right know. i just want to picture michael jai white uh, <laughs> well, who doesn't that is a handsome gigantic <laughs> like yes <laughs> um okay so there's been a couple movies yes and yasuke is also the basis of the popular manga and anime Afro Samurai. I was going to ask. So yes, different cool. character, different wow. setting, but it's definitely based definitely off different. of this yeah, guy. I mean, that's really cool to know that I, something that I watched as a kid is based in fact. Yeah. A little bit, you know. A little sprinkle. Yeah. So I'm going to hand it over to my buddy Malcolm, who's going to pick it up and run with uh, Japanese history from there. Awesome. Hey, so it's Malcolm. So, you know, our topic today was originally going to be just solely about William Adams and our friend Yasuke here that Sam just spoke about. And we wanted to encompass some more general history uh, as well. One of the things that kind of brought me to these two characters was kind of the idea of humble origins. Mm, Okay. Because, you know, when you think about it, Yasuke is going to be, you know, just kind of taken from Africa and then brought along on a ride, and then it ends him next to the most powerful daimyo at the time. And a lot of short people. Yeah. And a lot lot of short people, exactly. Towering. So today, to talk about our other character here, William Adams. 
So William Adams, he is an Englishman. He's a trader. He's trading on behalf of the Dutch. Mm. He's going to open new trade routes. He's going to open opportunities with Japan and other areas in Southeast Asia. And he's going to go on to become a close advisor to the shogun of Japan at the time, Tokugawa Ieyasu. Okay, so the guy that took over after... So after Nobunaga uh, commits ritual suicide... His uh, Nobunaga is known as the Great Unifier, and okay. then his uh, successor is uh, one of his retainers, which is Toyotomi Hideyoshi. Okay, but you know Hideyoshi is a lowborn, so he kind of makes up his own title. Okay, kind of along the lines of Shogun, separate from from the norm, and he's kind of known as the Second Great Unifier. Hmm. And eventually, he's going to pass away, and you know after defeating all of the other daimyos that rebelled after sure. Nobunaga was killed mm-hmm. or committed suicide. And then uh, Hideyoshi's going to pass away. And then Tokugawa's going to take over. Tokugawa okay. Ieyasu, another retainer of Nobunaga. And he is going to ultimately kind of bring centralized rule and peace to Japan. And William Adams is the one who's going to end up meeting with Tokugawa. Gotcha. So we're just a few generations removed. Right, right. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are very, uh, you know, very close. Really, within probably like maybe a decade, maybe gotcha. two at most. Mm-hmm. Everyone so. still talks about the tall black man. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, God, yes. So we're really lucky because you know William Adams, uh, Englishman. He's educated and he he wrote a lot of letters. He, oh. uh, yep, he would write a lot of letters. He would write in a, in a journal. So I'm going to well kind documented. of start us off with a quote here from one of his letters. Which just kind of describes his, uh, you know, kind of life story to Japan. The quote here from William Adams is, quote, I am a Kentish man, born in a town called Gillingham, two English miles from Rochester, one English mile from Chatham, where the kingships lie. And from the age of 12 years, I was brought up in the Limehouse near London, being apprenticed 12 years to Master Nicholas Diggenes, and have served in the place of Master and Pilot in her majestic ships, for about 12 years and served the worshipful company of the Barbary merchants until the Indian traffic from Holland began. And when I mention Indian traffic, we're talking about India here. So the Indian traffic from Holland began, in which the Indian traffic, I was really desirous to make a little experience of the small knowledge which God had given me. So in the year of our Lord God, 1598, I was hired for chief pilot of a fleet of five sail. So Jesus. He's basically telling us, uh, you know, he's born in Gillingham, Kent in 1564. His father dies. William Adams' father dies when he was 12. <sighs> and he's taken to uh, be an apprentice as a shipbuilder oh. in London, in the borough of, yeah. of Limehouse. And Limehouse is kind of a borough of London. It's along the Thames ah. River. Okay. So very, uh, you know, naval nautical-minded mm. area. Mm-hmm. In, in Good London. views. Uh, he then spends about 12 years learning how to shipbuild, learning astronomy, learning navigation, wow. uh, before he joins the Royal Navy. During his time in the Royal Navy, he serves under Sir Francis Drake. Uh, mm-hmm. He's uh, kind of the, the general of the English Armada at this time. And what's going on right now is the English and the Dutch are currently at war with Spain and Portugal. Okay. This is kind of uh, undertones of religious wars mm-hmm. between you know the Protestant Dutch, the Protestant English, and the Roman Catholic 
Spanish, and Portuguese. So everyone. Mm-hmm. And there's also, you know, Everybody got uh, a marital underties to this where, you know, monarchs have intermarried mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. different countries. And it's led to this kind of crisis of uh, different people having different claims to sure. different countries' thrones when the monarch inevitably dies. Right. I bought this bride. I get this land. So in 1588, okay. Adams is 24 at this time. Oh, and I forgot to mention uh, Sir Francis Drake. He was the first man to circumnavigate the world. That's why, that's oh, why you uh, recognize, that's why, that's why you may recognize yes, yes. his name from... So, 1588, he is uh, 24, and he's joined the war effort against the English. He's sailing a resupply ship Uh for Sir Francis Drake and helps him kind of defeat the Spanish Armada, which, uh, you know, that's, that's of course, big in history because the Spanish send this huge fleet of 100-plus ships to invade England, and they're going to conquer England, depose the queen, and put in their own monarch. Yeah, Spanish galleons. Yeah, and they're able... What did you do at 24? (laughs) Not that. So he uh, kind of captaining one of these ships that's resupplying the ships that are actually doing the fighting. Uh, You know, so still a really important job. And, of course, as we all know, the the Spanish Armada gets defeated by kind of a mixture of attrition from the English, just slowly picking at their heels because the Spanish ships are huge and slow. English ships are smaller and more maneuverable. Uh. Yeah. And the English are able to use... Yeah, Kaylee, uh, as you know. As you know. <laughs> and, and the English are able to kind of use that to their advantage. And then in addition to that, the Mongols, when they invaded, the Spanish were hit with oh, very bad weather. And many of their ships actually crashed into the coast. Ah. Yes. So. Damn. All right, Mother Nature. Yeah. So Damn, also, Nature, you scary. scary. <laughs> also in 1588, Adams is going to marry his wife, Mary Hinn. They would go on to have two kids, a son named John and a daughter named Deliverance. Uh, Perfect. Of course. I had to include that. The USS Deliverance. So yeah. shortly after, he, he's been in the, in the Royal Navy. Deliverance. What do you call it uh, for short? Vince? <laughs> Vinny? Vin- yeah, Vinny. Shortly after, Vinny. this is after the, uh, the Spanish Armada has been defeated, he's going to become a captain in the Barbary Company which I mentioned in his quote. This is a English trading company that's set up in Morocco. And oh. it's set up for the Ooh, sole purpose well, of maintaining nice. British monopoly in the region. And mm. monopoly is something you're going to, should be kind of in the forefront of your mind because that's what a lot of these colonial powers are trying to do is get to a place mm-hmm. first, mm-hmm. establish mm-hmm. themselves, get in the good graces of the rulers there, and then you gotta go uh, through yeah, explo- exploit the resources as much as they can. <laughs> So at 34 years old, we're at 1598 now, Adams has spent several years piloting supply ships during the Spanish Armada uh, invasion and uh, (laughs) working on trading vessels for the Barbary Company. He's going to become funded by a group of merchants from Rotterdam, Netherlands. He started a GoFundMe. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And uh, this, this group of merchants would eventually become the Dutch East India Company. Oh, okay. So, so they kind of been on the seafloor. Yeah, he, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is kind of the beginning of you know so when like these companies are getting established because we're right now we're wow, in the late right. Middle Ages, yeah, so yeah, we yeah. haven't yet fully transitioned to the Renaissance when we're kind of receiving this big rebirth of sure. you know, science and all these things. But we're getting close. So Adams 
He gets funded by this group of merchants in the Netherlands. He's going to set out from the Isle of Texel, which is a Frisian island in northern Netherlands. So if you think of France, the Netherlands is going to be like to the top right of of France along the northern coast there. Uh, Up there. Yep. Up there. Mm -hmm. And the Frisian islands are just north of there. In 1598, he sets out with five ships. The Hope, the Love, the Faith, the Loyalty, and the Gospel. Now he uh, he was right. he was brought on to be the master navigator for the entire expedition. Jesus Christ! He wasn't necessarily right. the expedition leader. Sure, sure. And his brother uh, Thomas came along. Oh, right on! So he brought his brother Thomas. I'd bring Katie. I, I wouldn't fe- bring you. I know. I was going to say go. I have a bad no, feeling Thomas no. is going to die oh, at no. some point during the trip. I don't know. I just know naval <laughs> just expedition. I just got cockles. a feeling, man. I mean, yeah. somebody. Uh, yeah, somebody's got to go. They're not going to make it's it. It's never the main character, but someone close, close to the to main. Close to it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so, it motivates them on. <laughs> so one of the things that really, uh, you know, intrigued me when I was learning about William Adams was this expedition that he goes on because there's just a lot of stuff that happens. So the expedition is going to leave in 1598 with five ships from Rotterdam, Netherlands, and we're going to the west coast of South America. Oh, so okay. Very far away. Uh, that's their that's their goal. <laughs> no They're thanks. planning on selling their cargo for silver once they get over there. Oh, all right. And they were only planning on heading to Japan if they were unable to procure the silver that was there. So uh, Japan was basically like an emergency plan backup plan, so we yeah, didn't go home empty-handed. I was going to say, I thought, like, <laughs> well, because the Portuguese ended up in Japan because they were blown off course, and I'm like, how the fuck do you aim for the West Coast oh, of yeah, yeah. South America oh, well, you and know end up geography. in Japan? Anyway, yeah. And the reason that they're aiming for the West Coast is because they uh, actually have stolen sea charts oh, from shit. the Portuguese at the time. <gasps> oh. And these uh, these sea charts were for this uh, body of water called the Strait of Magellan. Oh. Which is essentially like this, uh, kind of like an L-shaped uh, waterway. Well, little d- d- little jog. Yeah, that, that's going to cut through Argentina. Um, oh. But it's not a wide uh, waterway. Yeah, like between oh, like okay. Argentina and like Trinidad and Tobago mm-hmm. is on the southern, southern tip of South America. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's oh, June 1598. The ships uh, have sailed to the English Channel, and they're going to sit in the English Channel until mid-July. By the end of August, they, they land the on right weather. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because yeah, they're, they're waiting out winter. For them, right? it's 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 not necessarily winter. It's uh, just making sure that they have enough supplies because oh. you think like think you have sure. to back then. You have to think of you know these long-term voyages as like legs. Like, okay, we sure, need to sure, get sure. enough supplies to get to the next leg. And then the next leg. It's and that's... like buying snacks in between gas stations. Yeah, yeah dude, exactly. I totally yeah. feel that. Mm-hmm. You got to refuel them. So by the end of August, 1598, they've landed on Santiago, which is one of the Cape Verde Islands uh, west of Africa. Oh, okay. So it's west of Africa uh, in the Atlantic Ocean, and they stay for about a month to resupply themselves. Now, the next few months are not going to be very kind for the sailors. I don't know. So after they leave Santiago... They were hoping to anchor nearby at the uh, island of Brava in the Cape Verde Islands. Uh, But unfortunately, the crew of the Hope caught a fever. And among them was one of the co-expedition leaders, Jacques Mayhew, uh, who dies. Oh, shit. 
So off the bat, you know, we're, we're in the islands west of Africa, and we've already lost one of the expedition leaders. So, so it begins, George R. R. Martin. Oh, no. <laughs> Who's next? Yeah, so, so this leaves Simon de Cordes to Cord, or, uh, Simon de Cordes. I like de Cordes better. Yeah, de, de Cordes. Not exactly sure there. De, de Cordes. Uh, so, so de Cordes. Uh, you know, he becomes kind of the sole leader of the expedition with Adams oh, navigating the crew. Oh, shit. All right. I mean, you just got to get somebody. Continuing yeah, on. So, what are you going to do? So, stop? So right? as we continue on, you know, our, our voyage across the Atlantic here. So they're going to try to sail across the Atlantic Ocean to hit the eastern coast of South America. They get okay. hit by a strong he- uh, northeastern headwind. Oh, uh, which prevents them from crossing the Atlantic, and they get blown towards a place known as Cape Lopez, uh, oh. which is an area off the coast of Central Africa okay. in the uh, the country of Gabon. Oh, okay. G-A-B-O-N. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. It's off the coast of that country. So they end up rolling in there from getting blown off course. They get resupplied and Lit. start to sail away to the west, but unfortunately uh, <laughs> there's an outbreak of scurvy on oh, several of the no. ships. So they have to hey, land at the Isle of, of Annabon on oh. December 9th. And uh, this is another island that's off the west coast of Africa. So okay. they really didn't get that far. Great. Cool. Before, before scurvy struck them. Don't make me turn Crossing around. Crossing the Atlantic is a yeah. bitch. All right. Yeah. So December 9th, they land there. And after they landed, much of the crew uh, got dysentery. Cool. So, Why not? so you think, you know, five ships, there's going to be about 100 people per ship. So, man, and like, you don't want to eat oranges if you got dysentery. No. Damn. No, no, absolutely not. So, they stay, end up staying there for a full month. Oh, I mean, people right. got to recover. Yeah. yeah, man, that takes the shits out of you. Well, I mean, you don't want to be in a state of dehydration surrounded by on all, the sea yeah, yeah all the water you can't drink you yeah know? yeah mm-hmm. yeah so as the expedition you know left in early january they were sailing towards once again west towards east coast of south trying America. again trying one more Do time live. Uh, unfortunately could, uh, you know starvation became rampant uh, and they weren't able to secure enough supplies to really last them the full way. So uh, it, it was noted that at some point men became so desperate they were just eating leather. Yeah. Cute. Well, I mean, you got to think of like the sandwich. supplies at the time that they would have for like a long trip of, across the Atlantic. You uh, have yeah. things like jerky or salted pork or mm. things that are going to, uh, you know, potatoes, whatever mm. that's going to keep for a long time. Yeah. Uh, the beginning of hard tech. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's not going to be super prevalent, probably in like a wet in the west coast of Africa would be my oh, guess. Sure. You know what I mean? So like they you can only stop. Yeah, supplies are going to be long local. lasting. Yeah, supplies. exactly. So, I mean, whereas like, you know, Fuck in, in the English Channel or places that are more world populous trading ports are going to have, have they're going to have the supplies that are going to last a long time for long voyages. Whereas wow, yeah. When, <laughs> They were not ideally blown to an optimal place to resupply these other ventures. Mm-hmm. So they, they have, have they're, they're at like, the whim here's some of bananas, and right? you're like, great, the we have these for three days. Available. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you didn't pull them off the vine. <laughs> yeah, you know? no kidding. Uh, here's a fucking hard ass avocado. <laughs> <laughs> that so yeah, just crack it right open. Same time the bananas <laughs> <Yes>. do. <laughs> 
So yeah, quickly. no, the starvation does not surprise Damn. me. Yeah. yeah, it would have been something that's very real, especially on long-term voyages like this. Can so we March, dehydrate this route real quick. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> like. <laughs> yes. Start sucking on grapes to see if we can turn them into Real raisins. <laughs> Let's turn them into raisins. We got a rash of these. Yes. So March 10th, 1599, they've been on the ocean for two months just sailing west uh, across the Atlantic Ocean. And they Fingers finally reached... crossed sailing yeah. west. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, luckily they got William Adams there. So right. He, he can read the stars. So they're pretty, pretty so. much going west. Honey. Yeah. Luckily, they got a guy who spent 12 years learning this stuff. So. Yeah, and then has on-the-job experience. Yeah, and then so. 12 right, yeah. years of on-the-job experience. Who love can it. ask for more? Love it, love it, love it. Uh, they, Still wouldn't so be they enough reach, for a job They reach today. Rio de la Plata in Argentina. And uh, this is the river mouth where Buenos Aires is eventually oh, okay. located. That's kind of like a, a breather that they take right there. In early April, so... About another month or so, they reach the uh, the dreaded Straits of Magellan. So this waterway, uh, like I said, it's kind of an L-shaped. It's about a mile and a half wide and Cute. 350 miles long. Ooh. So it, it, it's, the terrain's really rocky. As they found, the stolen Portuguese sea charts uh, were very out of date and very incorrect. So it was very rocky. Uh, it was so cold it limited their visibility uh, basically oh. to right in front of their face sometimes Damn. so they could only move a few hours a day. Crawling, gotta yeah. gotta really hope there's yeah. like so th- no one else going through. Yeah, they had made a really poor assessment of this. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. You know, the expedition, they suffered freezing temperatures. Uh, they were able to fish very well, though. Oh. Uh, it's noted that they were able to find ducks, mussels, and penguins to eat. Delicious. I've heard they're delicious. <laughs> On September 3rd, 1599, they finally reach the uh, Pacific Ocean. So it takes them Damn. about six months, which granted, you know, they're going to be stopping and starting to forage. Sure. Uh, you know, to, to go inland. And of course, there's also going to be smaller like uh, outposts and things of that nature okay. that can be set up. So September 3rd, 1599. They get on the Pacific Ocean. Nearly four months. Took them nearly four months to travel uh, the strait. 200 Jesus. sailors died along the way. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they, they ended up losing a, a lot. Excessive. Yeah, it was it was heavy. Um, uh, <laughs> unfortunately for the team, though, as they reached the Pacific Ocean about a day after hitting it, they were hit by a huge storm, of course, which yep. forced sure. the the loyalty and the faith back into the Strait of Magellan. Oh, so the fuck. ships so the ships get separated. Uh, Do not pass the over. faith would become separated from the other ships entirely. Oh shit! And uh, the by captain Felicia. the captain of that would just turn the ship around and they go back home. Oh they're, really? They're actually the only ship that ends up returning back to the Netherlands. Oh my Wait, god! We could go I, home this whole I time. Say, <laughs> are you kidding me? I say, I would have chilled in Argentina. I would say fuck all this shit. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and, are you cool? And we they died. Make it, we they died. make it back home, and thirty six of one hundred nine crew members <sighs> are alive. Only the so. strongest of the cannibals. Well, yeah. I mean, see, but see, that's bad because then they go back to HQ and they're like, okay, so what you're telling me is I re- I don't need 109 people to staff oh, this boat. Now I just need God. 40, right? Oh right. Mm-hmm. We can do this job you. with 40 people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the loyalty, which got blown into the strait, uh, would continue on. Okay. Uh, so the expedition 
uh, of these ships forward. of the it, of the, the three like ships waited on Santa Maria Island just off the west coast of Chile. Okay. For them, but some of the ships missed the island, so mm. they end up it's you know just continuing island. to get separated. Uh, the expedition pressed on, and the uh, the hope landed on Mocha Island, oh. where they were intact by indigenous people. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, they, they weren't able oh, to yeah. endear themselves very well, so oh, they got attacked. They lost 27 people oh, in damn. this attack. They were not uh, playing around. Including the expedition leader, Simon Decords. Oh, God no, damn not it. Deckards. <laughs> so, so both expedition leaders are now dead. Uh, so now the, who sits on the iron? The, uh, the yeah. Love, which the Love is the uh, the ship that William Adams is on. Okay. It visits the island, the Mocha Island, but moved on because there weren't any ships there. Instead, they ended up landing in Chile. Oh. Uh, actually on the coast and received some help from the Spanish military that were there. They were all able right, to kind of right bribe on. some of them. Because keep in mind that these ships are all laden with nice stuff. I mean, you're talking chests of, gotcha. chests of uh, you know, furs and weapons oh. and all types of stuff. So so they got stuff to trade. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, but Chili's is so affordable, though. I mean, you got that <laughs> two for Tuesday. <laughs> or is that Applebee's? I, I hate you. That's all it is. <laughs> They're exactly the same thing. <laughs> so th- so they received help from one of the a Spanish military group that was, that was stationed out there. And in exchange for their help, they needed help fighting some indigenous peoples. So they decide to go help them to get to, to get these supplies, and unfortunately, this leads to about another twenty people dying, including huh. Thomas William Adams's brother. Called it. Oh, oh, Sam I did so call it. it. I know. And Sorry, after, Thomas. I'll after, pour one out for you. Shortly after this happens, uh, the loyalty. So this is one of the ships that got separated in the Straits of Magellan and uh-huh. was off on its own. Right, right, it right. ends up getting captured by the Spanish. God damn it. <laughs> So, so we're now down to to uh, just the three ships that are left. It's November twenty seventh, fifteen ninety nine. Okay. And the only two ships that are together are the Hope and the Love. So they're really the only chugging along, uh, only ones chugging along, hand in hand. Uh, <laughs> they end up kind of getting. Uh, they land together, and William Adams convinces everyone there, "Hey, we need to just continue on to Japan. There's nothing here for us." Oh, so, well, good. So. Uh, you know, unable to secure any silver on the west coast of South America and fearing the Spanish privateers that were in the area, they decide to, you know, start heading west Run. towards Japan. Unfortunately, they get to Hawaii because it's noted that William Adams oh. notes that they landed on a chain of tropical islands. So mm. it's almost certain that those were the Hawaiian islands. Yeah, he island hopped. Uh-huh. Up and uh, unfortunately, <laughs> One of these days. after uh, they landed there, a typhoon struck a and uh, the hope sunk and God everyone died. God damn time. Everyone? Yeah. That's yep. mother The hope sunk and every, all hands were lost. So 100 plus people. And I forgot to mention that uh, when they landed there, eight people deserted. Oh yeah, bye. Uh, And they were eaten. They were they were eaten by the indigenous people. Oh well, that's what you get, I guess. (laughs) I'm out of here. Oh shit! Right above that fire. Oh, on the beach. Beautiful. So they're gonna. So right now, the love is the is the only ship that's uh, that's left that can get to Japan in one piece. After being at sea for several more months on the love, Gross. a sailor, a rogue sailor, actually attempts to uh, because they're they're all starving, right. uh, attempts to light the ship's black powder 
to end their suffering. Sure. Oh, well, I mean. I mean, at right. least he's making it quick. Yeah, like, yeah, luckily, yeah, yeah. Credit for luckily that. William Adams was anticipating this and was waiting and <laughs> stopped him. What you doing, buddy? He's like, I so, had the same hello, thought. <laughs> so finally, in April of 1600, after 19 months at sea. Oh. Disgusting. A crew of 23 sick and nearly dead men laid the anchor of the love off the coast of the island of Kyushu. 23? The southernmost island of Japan. Twenty-three started off with five hundred something, right? And then twenty-three yeah. is a is a is about a hundred or a little over a hundred per ship. Oh my so, god! Yeah, yeah, a lot of people ended up dying. They probably look like skeletons coming off that fucking boat, oh, yeah. Absolutely. like well, a haunted boat. So, One so, of them still has like a shoe in their mouth. Yes, yes, yeah, just gnaw <laughs> them. Uh, so, of the twenty-three that were still alive on their ship, only nine actually had the physical strength to stand up. Oh my and go God. ashore. Oh shit! And, uh, which they ended up going ashore to the Japanese town of Bungo. Okay. B u n g o. Uh, you know, it, it ended up being a big affair because no one had seen anyone with uh, blonde hair and blue eyes. Before. Walking skeletons, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, walking oh. skeletons. So they uh, were extra scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could see through them literally. Yeah, because most of the traders at that point in time were Portuguese, so. Ghosts. Yep. So it was quite a shock. You know, word got around. Eventually, they were greeted by the locals. You know, everyone wanted to talk to them because uh, they just kind of appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, and of course, uh, uh, who came along was uh, uh, with the locals was the Portuguese Jesuit priests who were there. Oh. And of course, you know, they're they're not very happy that an English Dutch ship just uh-huh. landed in their neck of the woods. In their fucking right. shit. Yeah. yeah. So so I the mean, Jesuit priests they, fr- they actually like anyone's a, probably a threat. I mean, yeah, but the skeletons crawling off. Oh, of the I feel you. Like yeah, but they're Jesuits. Trust me. You got. Oh my god. <laughs> All right. Fair. They don't have the cleanest history of the different sects of the Catholic Church and church history. <laughs> anyway. So the the Portuguese Jesuit priests they get down to the to the beach where they're being greeted by Adams and the team are being greeted by the locals and they tell like the local governor that this was a pirate vessel and we need to execute these people right now. Oh shit! <laughs> Whoopsie turtle. Yeah, we need to to get rid of them. So the ship ends up being seized and they the crew gets imprisoned in Osaka Castle. All right. So, as long as you put me on a stretcher, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Which, which Osaka Castle is one of the, uh, I think it's one of the restored castles in Japan. Yeah, oh my it's actually, God. I've seen pictures of it. It's pretty cool. They have uh, uh, like the walls and it's got like moat that like runs through oh, around it or throughout sweet. it. So, I, yeah. My castle yeah. will have a moat. Yes. Oh, absolutely. With Alligators. Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So while imprisoned, Adams actually, ends up. Alligators uh, can get out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So while in prison, Adams speaks with uh, the shogun at the time, Tokugawa Ieyasu. So Tokugawa, he ends up in October of 1600 winning the Battle of Sekigahara, which is where he kind of defeats the last remnants, really, of daimyo resistance. Gotcha. And at this point, he's fully, pretty much fully unified Japan, uh, and this ushers in, you know, a couple hundred years of peace, really. So Adams meets with Tokugawa Ieyasu multiple times. Adams talks to, uh, about him at length in uh, in his letters. He talks about you know how the king view, or he actually calls him the king because you know over oh. there just because of the difference, sure. uh, you know in in their uh, social hierarchy. He, yeah, and structure. he has no idea yeah. what the fuck <laughs> their yeah. 
customs are. Yeah, yeah. they Lobes end up they them. end up talking about uh, you know wars, his intentions, and you know uh, Adams is just basically going to tell him the truth. You know, we're we're with the Portuguese and the, and the Spanish, and he talks about asks some questions about his religion, and interestingly enough, Iyasu is surprised to find out that there were different sects of Christianity that rebuked the Pope. Because when the Portuguese came there, when the Jesuit priests came there, they were kind of selling him this uh, idea of, oh, yeah, no one, everyone is like this back home. You have to let us come and convert you. And and ultimately, Iasu becomes much more endeared to the English and Dutch because they don't... Weird. They don't... try to convert them force they just the want to trade on them, yeah yeah they don't they don't really you know force it on them like sure. you said right well i mean because i assume that tokugawa would hearken back to like the soga clan like the buddhist clan that ruled along essentially controlled things behind the scene and kind of identify that with like the pope and the papacy how it also ran kind of yeah yeah depending the, on time frames like in europe would also run things behind gotcha. the scene or be as powerful as the king or sometimes more powerful and bad like taste that. in their mouth yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. so Ieyasu, you know he, he finds all this out from adams and decides to deny the jesuits request for execution as there was no aggressive action made by the english or dutch sailors uh Ieyasu then ordered <laughs> then ordered the love to be sailed from bungo to Edo, which is Tokyo. Oh, okay. Edo, E-D-O. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all. That's also Tokyo. Uh, but unfortunately, the ship sank en route. Mm-hmm. Oh, so shit. So they were, they were able to get it unloaded, but unfortunately, it sank en route. The Shogun then appointed Adams his personal diplomatic advisor and became an authority to the Shogun on all things related to Western civilization. Oh, shit. After, after only a few years, he actually replaced the Portuguese interpreter, Juan Rodriguez, as the Shogun's official interpreter. So Adams had basically stolen access to Ieyasu in just a, a really short time compared to the Portuguese who had been there for, for a few yeah. decades at yeah. that point. Oh, no, just so, slid right on in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. Portugal was like, ooh, we got this monopoly over oh here. Oh, my God. And Never then one dude undoes everything. That's hilarious. Oh, oh my God. Oh, man. <laughs> Now, Adams was not allowed to leave Japan by order of the Shogun. It's kind of a, it's kind of a theme you kind of notice with Yasuke, where Nobunaga doesn't want to let... Uh, You're mine yeah. now. Uh, yeah. Nobunaga doesn't right, want to yeah. let him go, because he's afraid that his rivals will take him and use him against him. And that's exactly much, what Ieyasu yeah. thinks about William Adams. Mm-hmm. This, you know, master shipbuilder, this guy who knows all these things, he's going to be used by my rivals. That's actually why he imprisons him in Osaka Castle, not because he wants him to be imprisoned, but because to keep him safe. That's probably the safest place he'll be is sure. right. inside sure. inside a castle, even though he's like, you know, quote unquote prisoner. I mean, I bet he has some nice digs. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's not like drippy and dank. So the Shogun, he's not going to let uh, Adams leave. The Shogun then has a ceremony where he bestows the two swords of the samurai to him and decrees ah, that William Adams, samurai. the navigator, is no more. He's dead. Oh, all right. And Ooh. instead, Ooh, Miura Anjin has Ooh. been born, and he is a samurai. So dope. he kind of you know uses some psychological tricks there to be like, oh, no, you're this new person now. Yeah, forget now your, your old mind. life. This is who you are now. Yeah. You've been them. So Adams is now quote-unquote freed 
to serve the shogun permanently and become one of the one of his closest retainers. He became really wealthy. He was actually given a fief oh, right? with 80 to 90 peasants to work the land Damn, Gina. with about as many farms. He writes in his letters, quote, God hath provided for me after my great misery, referring to well, yeah. his, his trip. Fucking 19 months of I mean, suck. if it's between staying here, being a different person, and... Getting know, back on a goddamn boat? I mean... And spending another 19 months trying to get back to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Europe. I'll be a samurai, thanks. I just gained weight, guys. Right. Okay? Oh, my <laughs> God. Getting on the goddamn boat. I don't want to take another Griswold family vacation back to... <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> I learned my lesson the first time. Thanks. Bye. Adams, uh, also at this time, after uh, you know, being given his land and title, he remarries. He remarries a, uh, a low-born Japanese woman named Oyuki. Mm. They ended up having two children uh, with her as well, uh, Joseph and Susanna. Cute. Cute. Uh, Adams would still write letters. And to his wife, even though he couldn't send them, uh, and he would uh, also, you know, put away money, and he'd eventually be able to to send that back to her. Uh, wow! Uh, but this wouldn't occur for about another. Letters. And that money, all these years later, and you're yeah. like, oh shit! Oh yeah, I mean, because he's there uh, for about thirteen years. <gasps> wow! I think. Yeah, about. Oh, so they've already had the funeral. Yeah, yeah. He ends up being he's he's there for at least ten years before. He even uh, has a chance to get word back home. Wow! So, yeah, there's like oh yeah, quite, they're like quite, oh, quite, Papa quite died. Time <laughs> Let's jumps. see, right? Papa who? So, Papa while who? retainer for Ieyasu in 1604, Adams goes on to build a 120 ton ship Oof. for him. So, just to compare, the Love was a 150 ton ship. So, Oof. so this is actually way larger than anything the Japanese could produce at the time. So he mm. kind of helps mm-hmm. them. Uh, you know, make the ship, and it's this big, uh, big do. affair that they have. From 1604 to 1609, Adams helps form the Dutch East India Company. He kind of helps uh, set up their yes. fact, their trading factory that's out there. His help ensures that the Portuguese would no longer have a, a direct monopoly as a result. So the Dutch were trying to break the monopoly that the Portuguese had, and Adams is kind of sowing the seeds to get the Portuguese out of there. In 1611, Adams receives word that there's an English settlement in Indonesia, and he sent letters asking them to come up to Japan and set up an outpost. Oh. So it's 11 years. He ends up, you know, he, he lands in Japan, sits there for 11 years oh, before shit. he even comes across another Englishman. Wow. Yeah. How at that time you'd right. be like, oh, shit. Hey, <laughs> forgot about you, man. Right. Oh, that's that's what I look like. Oh, my God. Yes. And then in uh, in 1613, so a couple uh, a couple years later, the English captain they receive uh, you know his message. The English captain John Saris arrives in Japan to set up a branch of the British East India Company. Okay. So they're both kind of the same thing, just different countries: the Dutch East India and the British sure. East India. John Saris notes that Adams thought really highly of the Japanese. He wore their dress, lived in their quarters, Ooh. and he spoke Japanese fluently. Wow! Very nice. So in late 1613, the English had received permission from Ieyasu to begin the trading outpost, and the shogun gave Captain Saris two full suits of samurai armor to provide to the King of England. Uh, and these can oh, actually be seen shit. in the Tower of London if you if you ever oh, go there. Shit. Yeah, there's cool. they're in a in a glass case there. Wow. That's, that's pretty dope. That that's is. yep. 
That's super dope. Do they let you try them on? Or oh my god, shut why up. Are you curious how that many is No, they what? shoot you. Yeah. <laughs> shoot you or you go straight to prison. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'll fill up my punch you, card so. and then try. <laughs> In October 1613, uh, Cyrus and the English party depart without Adams, oh, who had decided ya. to stay. Uh, when Cyrus asked Adams, he reportedly said, I answered him. I had spent in this country many years through which I was poor, and I desire to find something else. Mm. So I think it's kind of this, uh, uh, you know, idea of Adams wanting to stay there because he had just spent yeah. at this point a decade of his uh, adult life yeah. there. Sure. So you know, just uh, you know, he just thought that was really interesting. Not he wasn't too shabby. Yeah, yeah. You built something for yourself. Because <laughs> like, if you think about it, if he goes yeah. back home, sure, he's like famous for, for going to Japan and all that, sure. but he's just another you know English trader. Here yeah. he's like. Maybe not that, the you guy. know, in Game of Thrones speak, he's not the hand of the king, but he's sitting on the small council. Sure, sure. Right, sure, yeah. yeah. So he's, he's, got a maid? He, he's got an important role there. So Adams ends up working alongside the English to set up a trading factory in Japan in 1614. Adams actually convinces Ieyasu to banish the Jesuits. So the Jesuits oh, get kicked out. Get the fuck out! And the, uh, the Japanese people are told that they can uh, abandon their faith. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so so while working uh, in the English trading factory, Adams works alongside another Englishman named Richard Cox. He's uh, Coxie. Yeah, Coxie. He stayed behind to, to work on the trading outpost. From 1613 to 1620, Adams ends up launching various different trading expeditions into Siam, oh. which is Thailand, mm-hmm. uh, and China, which ends up netting actually much more value than the English goods they get. Because it turns out that people in Japan were actually really dependent on Chinese like silk and textiles a lot more than they were sure. like the trinkets from Europe. Yeah, yeah. So they were a lot more practical for their just everyday purposes. Yeah, that makes sure, sense for sure, their sure. dress yeah. and shit. Yeah. Uh, Adams ends up remaining in Japan the rest of his life. A grave is provided for him. Oh. You can actually go see it. It's uh, it's, oh, wow. it's like a historical cool. landmark in Japan. And of course, in Gillingham in, in Kent, there's a statue of him as well. And his grave's located in Nagasaki. And Adams passes away in the year 1620. With his will splitting the assets that he had uh, between his English and Japanese families. Okay, still taking care of the kids. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, damn, yep. dude, that's pretty damn decent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, can you imagine being, uh, you know, old Mary back in England, and then it's like, yeah. 10, ten to fifteen years pass, and you just hear from your husband, and there's a trunk of gold, right? Yeah, yeah. and you're like, like oh, hey, he's alive. really dead now. Yeah. I was no, alive. Coming home. Yeah. So Richard Cox ends up becoming, you know, a really close uh, confidant of his. A uh, longtime friend up until his death, and even after his death, Richard Cox uh, still sent money to his family. Oh my oh, god! Nice. Yep. And when Adams passed, Richard Cox wrote, "Quote: I cannot but be sorrowful for the loss of such a man as Captain William Adams. He, having been in such favor with two emperors of Japan, as never any Christian in these parts of the world." Wow. Aww. So after the death of William Adams, the English trading outpost only ends up functioning for about another three years as it became really unprofitable. So it only lasted 10 years total there due to the, you know, the, just the lack of interest in English sure. goods compared to Chinese goods and other right. Southeast, right. Southeastern Asia goods. In, in 1631, uh, the son of Tokugawa Ieyasu closes off Japan entirely, except for oh. a single Dutch trading outpost. 
which is believed to be like thanks to Adams's like legacy. Yeah. So it's the wow. only foreign trading outpost that remains uh, after that. And then, of course, there's going to be a couple hundred years of kind of peace, so to speak, uh, for Japan as a, as a country. Uh, but they become really isolationist and close off. And wow. that's going to last until the American Captain Matthew Perry arrives in the 1800s to force the Japanese to begin trading with, with the world. Yeah, he showed up with like a lot of guns and was like, hey, I want to trade. And they were like, no. And he was like, no, I'm not kidding. We want to trade. I wasn't asking. <laughs> I fl- knock, knock. So, so that, really, that concludes, you know, uh, kind of the idea of our humble origins story you know just wow. this idea of people from yasuke just a random person from from africa and then william adams just a navigator from england to somebody who got lost. you know to someone who yes. ends up becoming really prominent you know the way uh you know wow. coincidence and opportunity really have aligned for these guys that, right. uh, that's amazing oh, what a fucking treat yeah, Guys, and, and then yes. just and then just interesting facts after that. So there's a Japanese video game developer called Koei, and oh, they okay. actually have a video game called Neo that's based on William Adams. Oh shit! Yeah, so there's actually <laughs> a video game cool. about him, and there's also a book called Shogun, which is like a historical fiction that was written after his death. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome, guys! Thank you so much. You guys knocked your homework out of the park. I would definitely grade you at like high school level. (laughs) Where at most we do like yes seventh grade. Yeah, I'd say we step it up to seventh grade sometimes. But y'all are high school. I can't thank you enough for working on that and bringing it and uh, having a good time with us today. Heck yeah! Yeah, Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, even the research. Yeah, it was it was was a lot of fun. You guys are nerds. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. Adorable, adorable nerds. All righty, gang. It's uh, that time again, and I do have a special guest with me at the end of the show, Sam. Woo! How you doing, Sam? Oh, you know, just peachy. Well, Sam's going to help me close out the show today, mm-hmm. and uh, it's time for Get, Get That, that Shit! shit. I love it. Way to go. Yeah. Good job on your uh, your first chorus. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, we like to highlight small businesses and things like that. Well, every single small business that I had picked out, they're closed for the holidays. <laughs> they're fulfilling orders and getting stuff out, you know, before Christmas and other winter festivities. So I will just highlight them when their stores are back in action. Wah, wah. I was really excited about two of these and then I was like, son of a bitch! Well, they'll but still be around after the holidays. They sure will be. But today, to help you get through <laughs> the next few weeks that are coming, uh, I have highlighted a very special wine for us today. It is 19 Crimes Snoop Dogg Cali Blend. It is so fucking delicious. Uh, I found it at Kroger the other day when I was <laughs> at the store. I don't go to the store a lot. Sam is like the store guy. So whenever I'm at the store, it's usually because like I either really need something or. Yeah, because if bored. not, we come back with, you know, 
Gushers and zebra mm-hmm. cakes and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, no it's eggs or no eggs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we have three things of paper towels, no toilet paper. Right. <laughs> yes. So I was there roaming around and I was like, you know what? I do need some wine. And I picked up a different bottle that I, I usually get. And then I walked by this huge display case of 19 Crime Snoop Dogg. Samuel, can you tell us a little bit about this wine? Sure. Uh, 19 Crimes Snoop Cali Red is full and dense with a strong black and blue fruit notes up front from the Petite Syrah, complemented by bright red. Slightly candied fruit in the background from the Zinfandel. The darkly toasted oak ties it all together along with a slightly sweet finish. Delicious. And I can tell you. I mean, yeah, it's good. All of those things. <laughs> I thought, you were, thought, thought you were building to something there. No, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. <laughs> it's really good. You guys should get it. And it's really cheap. And like, I hate to say it like that. Like, it's not like really cheap, but like as far as good wine goes. Well, yeah. I mean, just because. D-O-double-G knows. I mean, Shaq, his line of shoes is sold at Walmart, not because they're any better or worse quality than like Nike or anything else. Uh, he was approached by a mom and was asked, why are you charging like $100 for your pair of sneakers and whatnot? And he was like, well, here, here's gave her a couple of pairs of shoes for her kids and whatnot. And she's like, no, you don't understand. Like you're part of it. And like he canceled his contract with Nike and essentially made a line of his own shoes that could be affordable and put into stores. Wow. And you said this is who again? Shaq. Shaq. I heard Jack and I'm like, who the fuck is Jack? <laughs> <laughs> like I may be misquoting a couple of facts or paraphrasing or whatever, but that's essentially the basic story. Like he decided that he didn't want his name attached to his shoes that were um disproportionately like, expensive yeah, for and, no reason yeah. you know and he was like i want to be a part of a company that makes affordable shoes that kids enjoy like that's what i want to put my name on that's fucking nuts um so make sure this holiday season that you run out there get you some shack shoes <laughs> and also some 19 crimes d-o-double-g cali red <laughs> This Cali Red is going to really help you while you are browsing through the internets. You know, we have a couple, as of this moment in time, we have a couple more days if you want to Amazon shop, I guess, or whatever. But while you're shopping, make sure you have us in your earballs. You can listen to us at Podbean, Hail Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and you can find more listening platforms in our Instagram bio at GTS underscore podcast. And while you're there, make sure you hit all the likes, the follows, the subscribes, leave us a comment, whatever, so we can keep on growing this shit for you. Check out our link tree that has our website, episode resources, and much more. You can always holler at us at GTS with Kaylee and Cassie at gmail.com. Make sure you shoot us over any small business ideas or any topics you want us to do homework on. You guys have a safe and healthy Honda days. And uh, how we'll... dare you? You know, this is a Toyota Thon family. This is a Toyota Thon family. <laughs> <laughs> Get that happy Honda days bullshit out of here. Out of here. <laughs>
<laughs> well, we will talk to you guys before the new year. All righty. So love and light. Love and light. Bye. Bye.